So many things to consider when choosing your career path as a pilot in aviation. I had the privilege and the pleasure to interview Jason DuVernay, a commercial airline pilot, as well as a pilot career counselor. In part one, we hear about Jason's very colorful and turbulent start in the airline industry, the different path his career has taken than what he first predicted it would be, and how incredibly content and happy he is with his choices. And we talk about the choices, the things to consider, quality of life, amount of time home versus gone, parenting as a pilot, the speed to left seat or captain upgrade, wide body flying opportunities, and more. This is part one. Welcome to the Pilot Wife Podcast, your ongoing checklist for navigating your best life as a pilot wife and aviation family. I'm your co-captain, Jackie Elmer. I've been a pilot wife for over three decades and can't imagine any other lifestyle. On the show, you'll hear stories, experiences, tips, advice, interviews with other pilot wives, pilots, aviation professionals, non-revving and travel experts also on this journey. Yes, it's a mixed bag of goods, but what life isn't? I'm here to bring you the best that the aviation life has to offer. If you have a topic suggestion, a story to share on the show, details are at the end. And if you want the Pilot Wife Survival Guide and Checklist, go to pilotwifechecklist.com. Now, stow your baggage, strap in, and let's unpack the Pilot Wife life. Welcome to the show, everyone. And as I mentioned in the introduction, I am very honored and thrilled to be bringing you an interview with Jason DuVernay, who is a commercial airline pilot, as well as someone heavily involved in career coaching and counseling in the pilot world. And I think he's, I know he's going to bring a wealth of information to certainly the pilot wife, pilot partner community. And the goal is to help educate all of us better to communicate effectively and make good decisions regarding a career path and all the different things that go along with the aviation and pilot lifestyle because it is unique. So with that, Jason, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Jackie. I'm excited to be on and, and, and speak out to the, uh, the audience. Normally, I'm just talking directly to pilots, so it's kind of neat to get um, to expand that out a little bit. Well, I love that too. And it's interesting. I have a lot of pilots who listen. I've gotten a lot of great feedback and a lot of them listen with their wives. They listen together and they talk about the different topics. So I'm, I'm loving that part of it. I'm absolutely loving that. Yeah, good. It's, it's a career that can be very difficult for uh, people who didn't grow up with a passion for it uh, like we do to, to understand it, right? And, and to, to deal with the difficulties associated with the, the lifestyle. Right. It's, it's, you know, as I always say, I mean, for me, it's been the most fabulous lifestyle. I can't imagine doing anything else, but I was in aviation first, then married a pilot. And so maybe that was part of the difference, but it's like, if you will just relax into it, I say, and, you know, roll with it, you, it's the best, but you know, everybody has to come to that decision for themselves. Right. So tell us about you, give us some of, bring us up to speed on you, your background, how you got into aviation. Sure. Uh, well, I teach people how to introduce themselves a lot in interviews, um, but uh, to be a good teacher, I think uh, you, you kind of got to suck at it for a while, right? And and make mistakes. 
my background is is a weird one. I'm, I'm one of those people that got into this industry probably at a bad time. There's a, there's a lost generation in aviation. Those are really the people that got in right with 9-11 and had to step back. And then they also had the financial difficulties uh, associated with the uh, economic collapse and then now COVID, right? And, and I came in later in that. I, I can remember very clearly sitting in I, uh, um, Mr. High Street's class in, in high school, my senior year, and watching 9-11 happened on TV. We brought the TV in and watched it. And, and it crushed me because that was my dream was to go be an airline pilot. Um, and I really had to check myself and, and consider, is this something I want to do? But I grew up in a in a household where we were able to travel. My mom was a travel agent. And at, at one point, we'd sold uh, the house we we're living in to a uh, American Airlines pilot. And he was a captain. And uh, I was living in the Detroit area. And he was Chicago-based. And I found it so fascinating that he'd be buying a house in Detroit while being Chicago based. So that's kind of my first exposure to commuting and you can live anywhere you want, which was really exciting to me. Um, so between that and Aviation Challenge, which is part of Space Camp, which I think uh, if, if any of you have kids, you should certainly look into. It's an amazing program. The captain I just flew with on my last trip, he was actually a uh, instructor there. So one of the guys that essentially gave me my first flight, right? And that same kind of situation. So it's really neat to kind of rekindle those memories just, uh, just last night, honestly. But uh, I've always had a passion for traveling, uh, seeing the world, and I wanted to have a job that allowed me to do that. Um, additionally, I'm, I'm kind of weird. I always wanted a job that allowed me to do other stuff on the side. And there's nothing better than being able to be a pilot where you're respected and trusted enough to take a multi-million dollar piece of equipment and just go and not have to ever talk to your boss or do anything that you were distrusted to make the right decisions all the time. Um, and it also affords us the ability for uh, a good income eventually, right? Sometimes you got to work for it. I certainly have. And uh, the freedom and flexibility to travel and see the world do things differently. Uh, so I've done corporate aviation. I flew Pure Part 91, which is where you're flying for either an individual or a corporation. And they have their own aircraft and you're not doing anything for hire. Um, just uh, really a lot of like bouncing between factories uh, flying around important people at the business and when i say important people i mean not the ceos and cfos it's i mean that that was certainly part of it but flying the the blue collar people down to you know repair the equipment that went down to get the line back up and running stuff like that so that was a very rewarding uh, part of my career uh, i flew for very very wealthy people um, flying uh, for a family uh, operation that also had uh, part 135 wing to it which is charter um, that was neat. Uh, I flew for some people that had really interesting jobs. And it's fascinating to meet these people and learn how they make their money and how they how they got these opportunities to do things. Uh, so I flew with a guy that owned a hockey team in British Columbia. And I love that because I got to go fly all over the, the mountains of uh, Western Canada and, and go watch hockey on my layovers. Um, flew for a guy that had a house in in uh, Beaver Creek. So I got, got to go out skiing, had my epic pass for a couple of years doing a lot of that. Uh, but Ultimately, I started in commercial aviation. I started with the dream of being an airline pilot. Um, and I did that. I suffered a furlough. I went and did a different aspect of the airline industry, which really made me truly fall back in love with it. And I was flying for K-Bear, a, a company that I absolutely uh, still love to stay and stay in touch with a lot of people there. Um, <laughs> they've got the slogan, Mocha Hagati. And, and I've, I've always uh, remembered it as I go through, even with the work I do now, and that's make our customers happy and have a good time doing it. And this is the best best career field for that. Uh, now I'm a, uh, uh, I did another regional, um, but now I'm a, a first officer on the Airbus for an ultra low cost carrier. And to be perfectly honest, 
it wasn't even remotely on my radar. It wasn't a career um, direction I saw myself going. Uh, I chose it for the people. I chose it for uh, the comfort of the aircraft, the type of flying. I, I've, I've come to quite a few realizations in my career, and the, the main thing I wanted to focus on was uh, being home and available uh, as a father, as a husband. And uh, I spent a lot of my career away, and we've made sacrifices. And, and I think as you grow with your children, you want to be with them more and more. And uh, this one gave me that opportunity with uh, substantial growth ahead of me as far as being able to develop my career and have opportunities and, and seniority, which offers you better quality of life. And um, I just haven't looked back. On the side, as you mentioned, I do uh, interview preparation. I work for a company called Raven Career Development, and it's a company that I hired. Um, I had a horrible application. I looked at my airline applications as, especially air, airlineapps.com. I looked at it as kind of like this register of when things happen in my career. I just kind of log in and, and throw stuff in there and update it. And I never really gave it much consideration as to uh, the grammar, the spelling, the the way that it's interpreted and seen on the other side. I, I saw it kind of like a database and nothing more and assumed it's just computer read and and whatever, to get the right keywords in there, do stuff like that. Uh, but I reached a point in my career where I'm, you know, getting the flight time, my qualifications, you know, chief pilot on the resume, uh, union safety positions, things like that. And I wasn't getting any calls. What the heck? Uh, so I reached out to um, Raven and um, I can remember the laugh, them laughing at how bad my application was. It, it was really, really bad. Um, and they, they completely revamped it for me. And I did that to make the move away from corporate aviation back into the regionals. And I specifically chose the regionals. I wasn't targeting anything else. I wanted to get that pilot command cap and time at the airline level uh, to pursue uh, future experiences. And then that led to working with them on making career moves within the organization, you know, becoming a recruiter, uh, again, getting into the chief pilot office, doing uh, aviation safety stuff with the uh, ASAP committee. It, it was, um, they, were, they were integral to the moves I made uh, being a resource for me. And eventually, as I moved out of that role, they asked me if I wanted to join the team. And, and one of the cool things about working here is uh, everybody, except for one guy, we make fun of him a lot, uh, is a is a customer. You know, they, they came to us by by purchasing the product and and getting to know us, and we recognized something in them that was extremely valuable for our other customers, and and asked them to join the team. So it's a lot of fun to work here and and, and watch people achieve their dreams on a daily basis. It's really really cool and very rewarding. I love that. And, and I, I want to backtrack a little bit because something that you said really resonated with me. And one of them was a, that you'd, you know, watching nine 11 go down in your classroom and, and that being your dream, but also your um, always knowing that you were interested in a side hustle and other things that you could do in addition to that. And I'm curious because um, you're a millennial, I believe you would classify yourself Barely. as a millennial for me. <laughs> I said barely, but yes, yes. I think but, I think by one year I, I hit that cutoff. It, yeah, <laughs> but, but roughly in that in that 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 realm, um, where I think your generation, we'll call it that, think a little differently, certainly than mine does, and um, in that there are other opportunities. So I'm curious if the interest in side hustles and doing something along with aviation is that something that you just always had? Is it something that you that came to mind as you watched 9-11 and were aware of different things that were going on there. Tell us a little bit about that thought process 
of being a pilot, knowing that you would could could ultimately have a schedule that was a lot of flexibility. Share a little bit about that part. Yeah, unfortunately, it's been a it's been a battle to get to that point, though. Right. I've had a lot of jobs that demanded a lot from me and I can clearly remember meeting my father in law. Um, for the first time and him asking me about wanting to be a pilot and his daughter was pursuing aviation as well. My, my wife, uh, Devin, uh, is a fully rated pilot. She doesn't work in the airlines anymore at all in any capacity. She's a stay at home mom and uh, a homeschooler extraordinaire, but, um, and, and an excellent travel booker, by the way, she, she really, uh, really knows how to work the system of getting good seats and stuff like that. But, um, I told him, I wanted to be a pilot because I wanted to have the time off to do real estate on the side. And it's funny, I've never really been able to achieve that goal of real estate the way that I, I wanted to, but it's given me the opportunity to buy some uh, houses that needed a lot of work and completely revamp them, refinish them and, and make them into something nice that allowed me because I, 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 I struggled on the income side for a very, very long time. Um, but we were always good at finding great deals on houses, pouring in a lot of hard work, looking for deals, and such to where we built a lot, you know, quite a bit of equity and it allowed us to, to purchase homes that we really like. So I've kind of seen that as my side hustle for a long time. And it's, it's hard to realize it because you don't collect a, a weekly paycheck off of it, but you, you know, you can kind of constantly move up that, that ladder of uh, equity, I guess. Um, and now I feel that I am in a position uh, finally to where I can actually start chasing that dream of, of doing more on the side. I, I do this, right. Um, the interview prep and, and career planning, but uh, I do look forward to the next couple of years actually finally getting into that dream I had of finding properties and rehabbing them and you know rental and, and and stuff like that, which is something I was exposed to as a child. And then dealing with the adversity of seeing 9/11 happen, uh, watching my father's company uh, retract in size considerably, and seeing how things that you thought were solid kind of start dissolving. And he was able to maintain his business and, and grew, you know, successfully out of it. Um, but a lot of his competitors didn't, you know, and, and I saw that and you, you see the opportunity kind of always got to position yourself to be resilient. So I've, I've dealt with furlough, you know, been on the street going, holy cow, how am I going to do this? And next thing I know, I'm installing industrial windows and, and, uh, rehabbing, uh, turbines inside of power plants I and mean, just, just weird stuff I never saw, but, you know, reaching out to friends, knowing that they need work and they need help and, and it allowed me to do a lot of things. So I've, I've always been a resilient person looking for things to do on the side and looking for opportunities. And I, it's, it's almost a sickness at this point. I gotta, gotta always find something to keep me busy. Um, the, the career though does afford that opportunity. There's great resource out there too. Uh, Tito Goose, he's got another uh, company. He actually has a Facebook page. that's like the pilot side hustle. Um, I can't remember specifically what it is, but a lot of people going on there sharing what they're doing on the side, you know, making, making things, um, pins. Uh, I, it's, it's been a while since I really looked at it, but a lot of real estate, a lot of, um, a lot of neat side hustle ideas on there. It's neat to kind of check in and see that. And a lot, most of the pilots I fly with, especially at this company, I think, I think the company that I'm at, that I try to not name, <laughs> but I'm sure people figure it out and can find it. Um, really resilient pilots here very resilient. They've been through a lot of ups and downs. And because of that, they've developed businesses, they've developed things on the side. And they've got this really nice balance of, um, of uh, flying in a way that they love, that they look forward to doing it, and uh, are a joy to fly with. But on the side too, 
they've got other things going on that, that gives them that resiliency and that comfort with um, a focus on their flying job, looking for quality of life, which, which I really love. And that's one of the things I love about where I work. So was quality of life always very high at the top of your value list in terms of your career? No. <laughs> um, it, for me, it was the rat race. I, uh, I did everything. I tried to take every angle, meet every person, network as hard as I could, you know, for the quicker opportunity. And the funny thing is when I look back on it, a lot of my friends who just picked jobs and flew, I mean, if you look at this um, weird scale, you know, we're always comparing each other. Um, pilots, it's, it's, it's a funny world. We're always looking at contracts and pay and airlines and what they're doing and growth and all these, all these metrics. And it, you look at a lot of people that I was very close to my, my close friends from college and stuff. And they've been at, um, you know, the major legacy level for a lot longer than I have. Um, but I feel very grateful for the experiences I've had through the career. The, the furlough taught me to not overextend myself. It, it taught me to be financially sound. Um, and then getting exposure to, I'm on airline number four now, and I've done two corporate flying jobs. All those exposures allow me to know that I am content and I'm happy with where I'm at. And I think a lot of pilots struggle with the grass has gotta be greener on the other side. It's gotta be better at that other company. I gotta go do that. And it, and it results in exactly what my career has been and that's restarting a lot. And every time you restart in this career, you end up at the bottom of the senior list. You gotta build yourself back up and it's, it's painful. Um, but for whatever reason we're driven um, some of its ego, some of its dreams, uh, some of its the original goal and finally getting that opportunity. And it's really neat right now to see people ending up at that final goal airline that for a long time seemed uh, unfortunately unachievable. Um, and I, I'm just grateful for my experiences to now know what I define as quality of life. And that's being home almost every day at two or three in the afternoon, spending every night at home with my family. Um, I had my first two layovers in the last probably four or five months last night. Um, I flew, flew a red eye, which I haven't done in over a year um, because I decided to fly reserve and, and that's just what it is. But, uh, you know, we make those, we kind of roll the dice every once in a while. Um, but quality of life for me is working during the weekdays, being home each night, being able to um, work on things with my family and, and, and travel when we want to and, and do those types of things. And I feel like I finally um, at a place where I, I have everything that I've wanted in the career. Did that, did that come in as a value when your son, when you, when you started a family or was yeah. it already starting along just being worn out of some of the rest of it? Yeah. My wife and I joke, we've been in a long distance relationship now for like, geez, it'd be, it'd be 19 years, 18, 19 years, something like that. Been a long distance relationship. Um, and now, now we see each other every night. <laughs> which has been, it's been an adjustment, honestly, at the beginning, it was, it was pretty funny, uh, but, but we value it. Yeah. I mean, I think what I've seen is uh, the quality of life goal has changed multiple times through my career um, as I'm trying to define it and figure out what it is I really want and, and develop contentment and, and happiness with where I'm at. I've always been looking at the next step, the next move. Um, and I think when I finally found the place where I could settle in and go, you know, this is it, this is where I want to spend my career. I was able to actually focus on developing 
that true happiness and quality of life. And, and that is largely stemmed by my son, who's eight now. So it's, it's been a while. Um, we, I joke, he's, he's never lived in a house that's not been under construction. Um, and we've moved him a few times, which is certainly hard on him. But um, eight years old is a really cool time to be a dad and, and to, to be able to you know, help him develop his jump shot, you know, how to throw a football, um, deal with uh, consequences at school. It's um, difficult, but also very rewarding. And it's, it's so nice to not be in a hotel or this is sound funny. You know, there, there was times where I was out golfing or skiing or doing amazing things at work. And my wife is dealing with a, a child at home who's, you know, puking on her and, and a dog that's sick and, and all these things. And, and seeing those types of things, um, I wanted to be more of a, a team player and, and more present. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm getting there. Well, it's an interesting lifestyle and that it, that is a part of it. And it's easy. You know, I always joke about the time that I told my husband, oh, it must be nice being you, you know, you stay in fancy hotels and order room service and channel surf what you want. And I'm home with the kids, but at the same time, like that, and I think he said, are you kidding me? I'm in Des Moines. I mean, (laughs) nothing against Des Moines, but it wasn't like he was, you know, in Key West or anything like that. But, um, you know, we can sometimes being at home, make up that story, but the reality of it is, I mean, part of, part of the lifestyle does give you some of those fun perks. And a lot of the lifestyle gives you Des Moines. Again, I'm not picking on Des Moines. I just, the, I don't know why middle of the country, that's the, the, the city that came up for me, but you know, it's not super glamorous, whatever it's fine, but it's not the lifestyle that a lot of people imagine for sure. I wonder if you would, Um, just kind of briefly go through because, you know, a large part of my audience are pilot wives and pilot partners kind of define for us legacy, low cost, ultra low cost, some of what that terminology is. um, So they maybe better understand it. Yeah, that's good. Cause that's that's something I was confused with for a long time. What does it even mean? So legacies are are carriers that have basically long established um, history, right? Um, the, the big ones that people think of right at the top of their head are Delta, United, and um, uh, American Airlines, the big ones. But it also includes um, Alaska, right? Uh, to a point, I would I would almost put Southwest in there at this point. They've been around so long and, and developed such a thing. But that's where we get into the, the notion of low-cost carrier. Um, a, a term that I, I like better for describing the carriers is full service carrier, low cost and ultra low cost, because that's really what the business models are, right? So when we look at Delta, um, Alaska, United American, those are full service carriers. So that's that's an airline that's structured to have um, first class, business class, um, full allotment. You're going to get uh, you're going to get a Coke. You're going to get um, uh, some peanuts, right? I mean, it used to be a lot more than that, but that's what it is now. You're, you're gonna not going to get a pillow. Ex- I can tell you that. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to have an expectation of, of service on the flight above basic entities, I think is probably the best way to put it. Um, and because of that, there's larger costs associated with it. Therefore they have to demand different, um, ticket prices. And, and there's a whole structure that goes into that. Southwest really kind of upset the industry years ago with their um, their fare structure, low cost. Um, you know, they include some great benefits for customers like you know bags fly free and and whatnot. But they focus more on you know this is a an airline ticket's an intermediate good. You know, uh, Ben Beldanza is a, a guy that I've had on my show a couple times, and he really painted that clearly. He's the uh, uh, CEO who 
took Spirit Airlines from whatever it was, you know, I, I don't know if they quite knew what they were at the time when he came in, to making it into the first true ULCC, ultra low cost carrier in the United States, uh, taken in public. And that was painful. You watch, you go back, see if, if you remember the news at all, people did not know how to handle what I got to pay for my bag. I have to pay for a Coke. I got to pay for these things. But it's such a successful business model overseas. You look at Ryanair, you look at uh, Two Point Southwest, you look at Wizz Air. Um, many of the economies outside the United States have very robust ultra low cost carriers. And Spirit was the initial launch of that here in the United States. Um, they focus on basic entities. I, I think people don't quite know what it is till they ride on it. I, I didn't. All right. You're, you're going to get a seat. Um, and if you want anything extra, you're going to have to pay for it. If you want to sit next to somebody, you're probably going to have to pay for it. Which, and we're seeing the legacies or full service carriers kind of adopt these because they have to compete on that level uh, towards the back of the airplane, typically. Um, you know, like Zone 9 on American. It's, it's ULCC as much as it can be. But um, we force the entire network at the ULCC level to, to keep their prices down, to keep things competitive. And I think that's very healthy for the environment. And I think it's a, in the United States, a, a, a sector of the industry that's going to expand. And that, that helped me make my decision to, to come over, realizing it's just an intermediate good. And I look at my parents, they've got a house in Detroit and a house in Florida. They're, they're retired snowbirds. And they fly on spirit a lot um, because they don't have to check bags. They don't care if they sit next to each other. It's only two and a half hours. And they, they use it all the time. And that really kind of started opening my eyes to, I, I need to look at this. And then uh, I dove into it a, a quite a bit deeper, which I'm sure we'll get into. But uh, yeah, full service carriers, low cost. That's going to be like JetBlue, Southwest, um, and then ultra low cost carriers, which in, in my mind, only two ULCCs in the United States are Spirit and Frontier. There's companies like Allegiant um, that are more of a travel company. So they're they're more focused on driving revenue through uh, other products, uh, such as hotels, um, uh, trips, things like that. Uh, charter type operations, when you look at like a Sun Country, they do a mix of kind of the Allegiant style, some some Southwest type isms, low cost carrier, but with a charter wing and, and other opportunities and other certain like cargo. And then you have all the cargo operators as well, right? So you've got FedEx and UPS, which everybody knows, um, fantastic operations, great quality of life for, for a lot of people. It's not me. Um, you know, I went to bed at 7am this morning. I haven't done a red eye in a, a very, very long time. And it's, it's upsetting to my, my lifestyle. <laughs> um, and I know that's not all that they have there, but, um, it's, uh, it's, it's different and you're going to have to figure out what's valuable to you. Everybody I know that works in these companies is immensely happy. Um, and then the other carriers like ACMI, which is when you see those planes flying around the Amazon painting on the side, that's not an Amazon airline. That's, that's um, companies like um, Atlas who are contracted to, to do that carriage for them, to, to fly those airplanes. And there's a ton of those, ATI, um, Amerijet. There, there's tons of carriers that kind of fall into that on-demand cargo and ACMI type world, uh, which, which offer great opportunities for people as well. Okay, so let's, let's backtrack then and go back to your journey and your career, um, because we didn't really talk about that. I knew that you wanted to be a pilot so tell us about your journey. How, how did you come up through your, I don't believe you're military. So tell us your path. Uh, yeah, my path is, is very basic. I wanted to fly airplanes and uh, I, I 
I didn't have any ties to the military whatsoever. I was actually introduced to become an airline pilot through, you know, the guy that bought the house off my parents, which I can't remember his name. Um, and the, the, the civilian training method, I mean, military was there, but I, I wear glasses. Right. And I thought, Oh, I'm just, I can't do it. I wear glasses. I didn't know anything. And I didn't, I didn't take the time and I didn't have people around me that could advise me properly to go the military route. So, um, I went and visited a couple schools. I, I grew up in Michigan, so I went to Western Michigan, checked them out, you know, Sky Broncos. I researched a few online and I went to UND, uh, University of North Dakota up in Grand Forks. And I, I fell in love with that campus. I really liked the people. I liked uh, um, what they showed me, the operations, the scale of it is really, really impressive. And, and I decided to go up there. Uh, that's where I met my wife, which I'm very grateful for and uh, developed a lot of amazing friendships. And, and through that, you know, when you go to a large school like that, most everybody's focused on airlines and that, that kind of directed me towards the airline route. Um, and then you got to start figuring who do you want to work for? Well, Northwest is always top of my list because I grew up in Michigan. I was flying through Minneapolis a lot um, to, to go back and forth to school. And um, that, that was kind of always the, the main goal. And then they merged with Delta eventually. So I, I pursued that path uh, up until the economic crisis. I was flying for Comair, which I was really happy. Uh, to be at a carrier that was, you know, seen as the best, right? They had the best contract for regional carriers. They had the highest pay and all that. But that's where I started learning about structure of reserve and things. And and I spent my entire time there on reserve. I was there quite a bit over two years and and only left with 800 hours flight time, which is a really difficult way to uh, build experience. Um, and I looked at some of my friends who chose airlines that, you know, maybe didn't have that mystique or, you know, sheen to it of, of you know, the best or whatever. And they're upgrading to captain when I'm getting furloughed and they've got 2000 hours in the jet or 3000 hours in the jet. And, and that made really start to look at the industry different, try to understand it at a deeper level. And I still try to do that to this day with, with clients and, and people that want to be mentored, try to find the best route forward for them. I got furloughed and uh, very honestly, I was upset with my career choice. I was very unhappy. Um, I wanted to get engaged. I wanted to start a family. I wanted to have, um, career progression, and now I'm on the street. And there's only a couple companies hired, and I, I turned down to Jet Regionals and chose Cape Air, which was um, I always loved the show Wings as a kid growing up, and they that show is basically modeled after the operation that they had. And I had so much fun at that job. I loved just about every minute of it. I loved the people I worked with, the experience, and, and really just the flying aspect of it. Uh, they gave me the opportunity to become a, a leadership pilot in the St. Louis area as a, as a base chief pilot, which is great. And then through that, I was flying people, you know, between little tiny cities on essential air service routes, which are subsidized by the government. And um, you know, my wife and I, we got married while I was at Cape Air and she moved to the Caribbean with me for a little bit. We flew out of St. Thomas. And when I ended up in St. Louis area, uh, that's where I, we decided that we wanted to adopt and that's where my son's from, which, so I'm very grateful for that furlough in a weird way because it really set the stage for my life moving forward family-wise. Um, ultimately, I got exposed to corporate operation there, um, went through a crazy interview process uh, that took months and psychological evaluations and printouts of stuff that was online, and which, which luckily was good. Um, uh, sitting down with the CEO, CFO, sitting down with a psychologist, uh, not just the psych eval, but literally sitting down with a psychologist. Um, they ran me through crazy interview. Um, which I'm, I'm really grateful for because it helps me kind of understand some of the ways that corporate pilots could 
can see interview process is working. I did that for quite a while. And that's where, where I really got into learning how to build and, and do construction. I basically interned under a guy that was building a 9,300 square foot home by himself. And I got to help him build that whole house. It took us three years, um, but we did everything. And I'm very grateful for that friendship and that, that time learning on the side is like a side hustle, I guess you could say. Um, ultimately, I wanted to get closer to family. So I said, I'll, I'll take a job in Minnesota, Wisconsin, or Minnesota, Wisconsin, or Michigan. And uh, I got a great opportunity to go up to Michigan and fly for the uh, founder of Best Buy has a, a corporate flight department. And he has uh, a couple jets. They, they work on charter and, and part 91 and really loved it. It was, a, it was a fantastic job, but with 135, sometimes things can change quickly, and it did for me. We picked up a, another aircraft uh, on a managed certificate, and I went from having a really predictable schedule um, to what eventually became chaos. I was missing a lot. I was missing um, days off with my – I had expectations of days off, and they were taken from me repeatedly. Um, and I, I know that that organization has has done a lot to fix that, but at the time it was kind of painful because it was an expansion into uh, managed aircraft. And I loved, the sad thing was I loved every moment of flying there. Loved where I was going, loved what I was doing. And I really thought I'd be there for a career, but it turned into too much time away from my wife and son. And I told myself I was never going to go back to the airlines. And I one day just decided, screw it, I'm going. And I applied to every regional airline and I interviewed a whole bunch of them in like a week and a half time. And I took that visual of, you know, getting hired at Comair, trying so hard to be at the best. And uh, when I came back to the industry, I said, who's going to fly me the hardest? Who's going to be the fastest opportunity captain to allow me to get out of that regional as fast as possible? And um, that's why I chose GoJet. And I'm really happy I did. Um, there's a stigma around that airline that I didn't fully understand at the time. And, and I went and worked for them and, and sought hard to understand it and, and feel that I do at this point. That's a, that's a whole other podcast itself. But that company gave me so many opportunities, uh, growing fast, lots of turnover, which sounds terrible, right? But it was wonderful. I moved up that senior realist so fast. Um, got to the point where I was recognized for ability to, I guess, talk. <laughs> and uh, started doing recruiting events. Um, started interviewing pilots, helped set up flow-through agreements. Uh, got an opportunity to be on the safety committee, like I said, uh, short stint in the chief pilot offices as I get interim assistant chief pilot um, to get some exposure to that, which was neat. And then uh, then did my goal and got out of there relatively quickly. Um, but loved every moment of it. It's actually really hard for me to leave that job. I went from hating regional flying to really loving what I was doing. Um, and it was, it was a difficult transition, but I knew that I'd found a home with the career I'm at now. And uh, I love the people that I met that I worked with because uh, we did have a partnership with them um, in the recruiting side of things. Uh, the, the chief pilot team, I enjoyed meeting them and getting to know them. Um, and then every pilot that I met that they brought to recruiting events, I just, I really engaged with them. So I started doing something that I recommend a lot of pilots do. And that is, um, especially if you're a commuter, it's easy. Pick different airlines to ride on and ride in their jump seat and pay attention to the topic of discussion, pay attention to the way people uh, interact with each other and just the general feel of it. And I did that and two carriers, well, three stood out to me, um, frankly, that I felt like I was really good alignment with and that's United Frontier and Spirit. Um, the guys at Frontier and Spirit had careers similar to mine, most of them, where it's kind of like, 
you you think everything's going great and you kind of get hit and you got to restart and go do something and there was a, a general um i don't know just comfort flying with those people I, I really enjoyed the conversation laughed a lot on the jump seat um really good engaging and and that's what i was seeking you know you asked about quality of life i was seeking comfort i was seeking people that i could be really aligned with and i, I found that through those carriers uh just riding the jump seat and it really kind of shaped direction for me and, and helped me focus on what i thought was important um i got the opportunity to interview with my dream airline and I, I love telling people especially when i'm working with them i i went to that interview and i failed it and i'm a guy who did recruiting who did interviews who did um um interview prep helping people work through this and do this and, and i went there and i failed and I'm very grateful that I did because it, it really helps me recognize when I'm working with people that them falling in the same mistakes I was. And that's like being really absorbed by the, the stress and the anxiety that you have towards pursuing something that's your goal. Um, in the in the actual interview itself, really succumbing to stress, being kind of caught off guard um, and, and, and failing. But it didn't take me long to recover from that. And go, hey, there's more opportunities. And the funny thing is, when I start calling around to my buddies and going, hey, you know, I, I didn't get that gig. I, re I really wanted it. I didn't know why I wanted it. Um, I did for travel benefits, maybe, or something. But um, the other interview I did, I, I, I did really well. I was really laid back, really, really stress free about it, um, felt really comfortable with the people, and got really good feedback on the interview. Um, I know that I did well. And I think it's because it, it was really what I was more in alignment with and, and better suited for. And I look sometimes at, do I want to be at the other carrier? And, and think it'd be great to have those travel benefits. <laughs> be wonderful. Um, but I look at the progression that I've done here, um, the networking, the, the opportunity for things, and where I live and what I do for flying, like the actual schedule I get. And there's no way I could ever walk away from what I'm doing. And it's, it's just nice to know that I'm happy and, and that, uh, um, I'm happy with the grass on my side of the fence, you know, but that opportunity was, it was amazing to to go in because now I can give people a context of what it's like to sit at the table. And, and I got derailed big time because uh, I was I allowed myself to be so stressed out and wanted something to a point that just um, uh, screwed me up. And, and it was enlightening to, to speak to so many of my friends and go, yeah, I didn't get my first one either. And realizing they, they weren't doing it so it allowed me as i as i move more into the interview prep role here at uh raven to better understand and recognize when people are falling into those traps and, and help them avoid them um and make sure they don't make that mistake and and it's been been a lot of fun helping people get to get to their goal airline and, and that airline uh, specifically which is which has been a lot of fun so it Thinking about that interview process and what you said, and, and it's kind of funny, one of my most favorite quotes in the world is a Steve Jobs quote that says, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. And so you have to have faith that at some point in the future, the dots are going to connect. So what didn't work out that seemed like a terrible thing or whatever, you know, kind of like, I mean, I'm thinking, I keep, I've thought of this quote about three times listening to you, you know, talking about getting furloughed and just all the, the struggle that you went through, but now being at this point where you're looking around going, wow, this is probably where I was always meant to be. But looking back at that interview, when you feel like you did terribly and you didn't get the gig, what, what do you, what do you ultimately attribute that to? Do you think that you had built something up 
and were perhaps showing up trying to be someone that you thought you were supposed to be for the interview to fit that structure or, or say more about that? Yeah, this is exactly what I did. I'm going to move my mic here so it might get all noisy, but I, I um, this is exactly what I did. And I, I tell people, hey, they really need to know you, right? They need to know who you are. And I did not do a good job of that. Um, it, you got this persona of wanting to be super professional and this and that. And, and I, I tried really hard to stay on, on like this presentation of overly professional. When I had read up the carrier I'm at now, I, I wouldn't really lose. It was comfortable and had fun and laughed and engaged everybody. And then, you know, when I thought back to when I was hiring people, I wanted to hire people that I got along with and under, thought I understood and would add value to the company. And when I look back at how I, how I interviewed it, I did a job. I was the bump on the log. I was boring. I didn't engage with them. Um, and I took myself out of the game. Um, the stress that I, I caused myself when the, when the captain came to get me to, to go back to that interview, um, he told me, aren't you happy to be here? I said, yeah, I'm stoked. He's like, well, why don't you put a smile on your face? And I'm someone who's like, when I'm in the zone, I don't smile. I've got RBF a lot. You know, I sit there and, and um, not scowl, but um, have a hard time showing it, especially under stress, right? So um, he literally told me to put a smile on my face about six or seven times as I walked back to the interview room. And it just took me out of the game completely. Like, I'm like, am I not showing? Like, I'm trying to project this image. And I obviously wasn't doing it, right? So by the time I sat down in the chair for the actual interview, I had, um, I, I just, I, I wasn't able to do everything that I prepped to do. And then I had such a, a hard and fast goal on like the perfect stories and everything. And I, I tell everybody now that, you know, perfection is the enemy of success. You, you need to mess up. You need to show yourself. You need to you know, be able to shrug things off as you go through there. And we, we pile so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect. It's, it's impossible to have a perfect interview. You know, you, you got to be able to just be yourself in there and show your personality. And the people that I see here that, you know, I think have the best interview experience are the people that can stay in their own self as much as possible through the interview and engage at a level that is um, uh, very personable. And, and I know for a fact that one of the main reasons I didn't get hired because I asked and bugged and poked and prodded was because they didn't get to know the real me. And that was hard for me to um, get that feedback but it was dead on. As I look back and examine it, that's exactly what I did wrong. I uh, I projected this level of professionalism and, and tried to tout benefits that were silly um, that I might be able to bring and, and didn't really engage into, hey, they didn't want to see how you make decisions. They want to see how you deal with CRM, how you deal with um, difficult situations in flight and with people. Um, they want to hear nice, genuine stories. And I was so rigid. Um, I didn't fully understand, I guess, what I was doing in that moment. but. Um, the other interview I had is polar opposite. And, and I really try to pull that out of our clients as much as possible and, and help them, you know, they, they do, I do a lot of mock interviews. I'm, I'm kind of the final check for a lot of our interview process. And I love it because they, I get to see their mistakes and I try to push and, and build that much anxiety on them, just like they would in the interview. Um, try to stay in, informed, be cold, you know, not necessarily engaging that much because they, you know, a lot of interviews don't. And, and let them feel that pressure and make those mistakes there and then and then correct them and and, and walk them out and help them avoid the mistake I fell into. Um, as soon as I look back on it, and especially through COVID and everything, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful to be where I'm at and, and be able to have the opportunities I've had. But um, in the moment, yeah, it's, it's hard to deal with. And it uh, it's, it's, it's just one of those moments in my career that I'm, I'm really grateful for, honestly, because it uh, it allows me to really help help people 
and, and let them know in the moment, hey, you know, this is this is what I did. You're doing exactly what I did, and it will torpedo you. You you need to uh, confront this. And we we deal a lot with um, shame, with guilt, with nerves, anxiety, and and really helping build people's confidence up to the point where they can go in there and and project themselves in a way that allows their true self to show in a way that is received as professional and everything that that company is looking for. Okay, good. Um, you know, I, I think that's such good advice and that's such a great story for everybody to be, you know, listening to and certainly a value to your clients as you coach them through that process, because it is true. We want to engage with people. We don't want to engage with the persona that fits a stereotype that supposedly is what they're looking for. Right. So that's good. Okay. So I want to come back to a word that you used and we don't have to get super in depth because you even said this, that's an entirely other podcast, but when you were, um, was it GoJet? Is that who you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Go, so you use the word the last regional set. Yeah. You use the word stigma. And so I want to talk about stigma because I think that there's a lot of that associated in the airline industry. And you and I had chatted about this before stigma. So I'm assuming I am not familiar with that airline, probably my old schoolness of it. But but when you say stigma around that particular airline, was that internal? Was that within the aviation community? Was that from a um, the the public persona? When you say stigma, talk a little bit about that, if you can, uh, with regard to that stigma. Uh, stigma stops a lot of us from making decisions that are probably beneficial, right? We allow other people to come into our world other people that we see as mentors and maybe uh, better equipped to give us um, guidance where we're not really filtering out their true reasons behind things, right? Um, GoJet started in a very weird, messy way and, and that followed them through a, a, a long way. And it is a very long, difficult story. Um, and, and it depends, you know, people's feelings were hurt. Uh, people's lives were, were changed, certainly. Um, it, it happened a long time ago when they started up, but I allowed that. And then I allowed this mindset of, um, cause I actually, I turned GoJet down years ago. One of the companies I applied to when I got furloughed, um, I let people's beliefs and thoughts, um, affect my own research. And you know, I didn't really dig in, didn't, didn't look for opportunity properly. I, you know, don't go there, you know, there, they're going to abuse your contract or, you know, they're going to junior manual all the time, all this kind of stuff. Well, I was at the place with the best and that stuff was happening left and right. You know, I sit ready reserve six days a month. I was um, ready reserves where you sit in the airport, ready to go in 30 minutes, you know, and, and starting at difficult times. And so many commuting, it, it can be quite difficult. Um, and, and really that stuff beat me up to the point where I didn't enjoy the job anymore. And, and that it became important for me to find something. So, I was developing a stigma you could at the company I was at because um, the things I was trying to avoid, I was, I was still seeing. Right. So that happens a lot when people look at like um, ULCCs, they go, well, when you fly on them, you don't get free Cokes and, and this and that, or whatever it might be. They look at, they look at that, like the news heading that the tagline that, you know, whatever lost bags, uh, which I, which the company I'm at is doing fantastic. I think we're number one or two in the country right now. On, on achieving that, but there's the news headline type thing of looking at a company. And then there's what kind of opportunities will actually provide to me. So when I look back at, when I was leaving corporate to come back to the airlines, I thought, 
I need to go where I'm going to fly. I need this turbine PIC time. I need these experiences. I need these opportunities. So I'm going to go to the place that's going to give me the most of that. Um, and when these recruiters called me, I grilled them because I was in a very, I had a very good job, a very good job. Um, it just would keep me away from home too much. And it was hard. It was very, very hard to leave that job. Um, but I had to prioritize. And I said, when, when I get these opportunities to talk to people, I'm going to, I'm going to go right to the stigma and I'm going to challenge them on it. And that's what I did. And the recruiter that I worked with was so engaging. She was wonderful. Um, spent the first call, I think it was like an hour and a half on the phone. Um, answered my questions and being really transparent and really open. And um, we spoke a lot about opportunities and, and, and setbacks and things that are frustrating to be there. You know, it was a line pilot. They, they knew the frustrations of getting junior man and things like that. And that open honesty and, and transparency is ultimately what led to me making that decision. And everything that she told me came true. I was able to do amazing things straight to the left seat. I was never first officer at that company. Um, building the captain time, networking, recruiting, doing all sorts of things. And, and what it challenged me to do was look at, okay, what truly are my goals? And, and do I have the confidence enough to ask the questions from the people that, that do know and, and challenge them to make sure that the decision I'm making is gonna be the right one for my career goals? And I'm very happy with the decision I made. Um, I, I look very fondly on those, on those years there. It was, it was a wonderful place to be. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I think stigma is an important part of it. And as you and I had chatted about previously, you know, I, I come from the era where, I mean, Southwest was around and that was about it. I mean, it was legacy, if you will, or full service airline, I think as you termed it, that kind of thing. And so as low cost, low cost and ultra low cost carriers came under the scene, some of them did have a stigma. It was like, oh, the type of people that fly on that airline and you know, something would happen and it would be, let me guess, it was spirit. <clears throat> now, these are just conversations that I heard or saw on social media, that type thing. And it is interesting over time as you do educate yourself. And, and I think, too, for the most part, unless somebody experiences something, the traveling public basically is ignorant in a way, for lack of a better word, in terms of retaining certain information about an airline, right? So unless you're in aviation and you're familiar with it or following different things, or you were on the airline and experienced it, you could hear something about an airline and then, you know, it goes out of your mind. You don't remember what you, you heard that this terrible thing happened, but you don't remember what the, what the, what it actually was. So I know, you know, I, I know spirit went through a time of stigma, but it's been so interesting for me being part of the pilot wife communities on Facebook and the camaraderie and the um, community that that group of pilot wives have built. I mean, it's just fun to watch them welcome somebody into the ranks, you know, whose husband just hired. And I'm, I'm saying husband because I'm in mostly pilot wife communities and that's kind of how it's set up. Um, but, you know, welcome, welcoming them into the community and offering different things and all that type thing. And they're thrilled to be there. So, you know, stigma is, you know, is relative too. And I know for you, someone who now has been very meticulous about your career path, career planning, and, and then, you know, counseling other pilots as they come through that, let's talk about those different options and things to be aware of. And I know one of the things, it was interesting because after you and I had the last conversation, I kind of went in and did some research and it was interesting watching one particular pilot wife of spirit whose um, husband hired in 2018, and he's already completed now his 
captain upgrade less than three years into it. And so it's kind of funny when you talk about pay, you know, contracts and pay and all that, at what point does it even out? Because you made the leap to captain faster. And especially if you've got 20 years or so left in your career. So talk to us a little bit about how to evaluate some of that type stuff. So much to digest. And remember, this is just part one. In part two, we go further into the stigmas and how inaccurate these have been and can be associated with certain types of flying, certain airlines, how to network well, ask for help without being annoying. We talk about good communication when applying for jobs and building solid relationships versus being transactional. Raven Careers and their LinkedIn networking course, we talk about that. The importance and expense of career fairs and why this can be a huge boost to your career. And I asked Jason an interesting question. I asked him to look in his crystal ball and tell us his predictions for the next 20 to 30 years. He shares some insight on aircraft orders and anticipated deliveries and the focus on the leisure market. He talks about ultra low cost carriers how they know exactly who they are, the market they serve, and they deliver on that. How to set yourself up financially so whatever happens now won't be so devastating on the financial front down the road. The importance of family, his wife's background as a pilot and aviation pro as well. The importance of the one at home understanding the stress and the reality of life as a pilot and how the reality of delays and chaos can impact everything, that it's so much more than just layovers at exotic places. His son has been to 30 states and four countries. He also talks about how gratitude plays a role in his life, understanding blue chair time, you have to listen to that, which is integrating back into home life after being gone. He covers the top stresses of a pilot, Fatigue, stress, making everybody happy, meeting the needs of customers, crew members, and of course, the relationship at home. And finally, we talk about trust, trusting the time, distance, and layovers that separate spouses and partners. How to learn more if you want and need some help with your pilot career. So again, that's what you have to look forward to in part two. If you like what you're hearing on the show, grab the Pilot Wife Checklist at pilotwifechecklist.com. And if you have a topic suggestion or a story to share on the show, go to ask.pilotwifepodcast.com. Share the show with any pilot wives, military wives, or anyone in aviation you know who might share and benefit from this similar experience. I'll see you on the journey.